The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Futures pointing to a bit of a Tuesday turnaround, stocks slipping to begin the week. But one guest has a portfolio play that could help no matter what, how volatile things may seem. FTX playing down speculation. It is in talks to buy struggling retail trading outfit Robinhood. Shares giving back gains ahead of the open. Shares of Spirit Airlines jumping after JetBlue raises its offer yet again. It's just days ahead of a key shareholder vote. Nike slipping despite top and bottom line beats. We'll dig into the results ahead. Later on, big banks boosting their dividends after a green light from the Federal Reserve. But not everybody is joining the dividend party. It is Tuesday, June 28th. This is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. And as always, welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. Let's get right now to your market setup and stock futures. They are higher across the board, kind of exactly like we had yesterday. In fact, they're up exactly about the same as they were this time yesterday, about one half a percent across the board. Dow futures up about 200, NASDAQ up 70, and Well, we started higher and then stocks ended lower. And because of that, the S&P 500 does remain on pace for its worst first half to a year since 1970, with a more than 18% decline. Communication, services, consumer discretionary, tech and financials, they have all been selling off this year. And those groups, more than 20% below their most recent 52-week highs, they're all in a bear market. Now, it is not all gloom and doom, however. At least globally, check out the Chinese K-Web Internet ETF up more than 15% this month and on pace for its best month in more than two years. We'll get much more on some of this part of the rebound coming up in your RBI later in the show. Check in the bond market. Yields are rising again. The 10-year yield now at 3.22%. And energy oil also back on the rise. By the way, a rather bizarre scene at the G7 meetings in Germany French President Emmanuel Macron telling President Biden, all in front of cameras and hot microphones, that the Saudis and UAE have almost no spare capacity to increase production right now. And oil is back on the rise to 111.15, probably on those comments. Hopefully we can get the clip for you later on in the program. In crypto, we are seeing Bitcoin tracking for its worst month in more than a year. And Ether eyeing its worst month since the pandemic struck in March of 2020. Your single stock of the day is likely to be Nike. Shares are down. Companies saying the challenges like higher transportation costs, longer shipping times are all starting to weigh on margins. That stock down 2%. Now I'm down more than 35% this year and more than 40% off its all-time high. We'll get more on Nike with an analyst later on in the program. For now, though, let's get a check on the early trade in Europe with some of your key headlines. 
Juliana Tattlebaum is in London. Juliana, good morning. Brian, good morning. Well, here in Europe, as you can see, we've got green for the most part. Nearly every major region is trading higher this morning. Um, the CAC 40 over in France is up 1.4%, so leading the way alongside Spain and Italy. The DAX over in Germany up 0.9%. The Swiss market lagging a little bit. We're trading just below the flat line, 1% worth of gains for the FTSE 100. Investors certainly keeping a close eye on what's happening in the Bavarian Alps, the G7 summit, to see if we do get any firm commitment from the G7 countries around any potential policy on oil from Russia. We're also keeping a close eye on Sintra today in Portugal. The ECB is holding its forum there. Madame Lagarde speaking earlier this morning. And then, of course, NATO in Madrid also capturing investors' attention. From a sector perspective in Europe, we are seeing outperformance in basic resources. We're up 2.6 percent. A lot of that optimism seems to be coming on the back of the strong session in Asia overnight and the PBOC's pledge to provide additional monetary support to uh, help the economy recover from COVID lockdowns. On the downside, healthcare, real estate, and technology are underperforming. Uh, and finally, Brian, I want to get you a check on fixed income because European yields yesterday ticked significantly higher. Now this morning, we've got all eyes on the ECB as they gather in Portugal. One line I would bring you from the ECB, they intend to move gradually on rates if there is uncertainty, but not afraid to go more aggressively, more promptly in terms of of rate hikes should the inflation situation intensify. That was the key takeaway. 10-year Bunds trading with a yield of around 1.6%. The Italian BTP 10-year trading around 3.6%, Brian. All right, Juliana, thank you very much. All right, let's get back to sound with some of this morning's top stories, including a lot of back-and-forth rumors and speculation about a deal for online trading platform Robinhood. Silvana Hanau is here with that and more. Good morning, Silvana. Good morning, Brian. Yeah, well, shares of Robinhood on a wild ride over the past several hours, giving back some of yesterday's sharp gains after FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried downplayed reports his exchange is exploring whether it may acquire the retail trading outfit. In a statement to CNBC's Kate Rooney, FTX says, quote, we are excited about Robinhood's business prospects and potential ways we could partner with them. And I have always been impressed by the business that Vlad and his team have built. That being said, there are no active M&A conversations with Robin Hood. Shares of Robin Hood are down 77 percent in the past 12 months, well off its August 2021 IPO price of $38 a share. Chinese get out and travel or goat stocks surging in overnight Asian trading. This on news, China is easing some quarantine requirements for international arrivals. Authorities now cutting quarantine times from 14 to 7 days for overseas visitors. Names like Wynn, Macau, Galaxy Entertainment, Sans China, Air China and more all sharply higher. And JetBlue is once again boosting its bid for Spirit Airlines, now proposing a $400 million breakup fee, up from a previous $350 million. JetBlue also says it would prepay $250 a share once investors approve the deal, up from a previous $150. Spirit shareholders are set to vote on the Frontier cash and stock deal on Thursday after postponing its earlier this month, Brian. All right, there we go. I mean, what, what a battle, as Phil LeBeau's been reporting on this for months. I don't think we've seen an M&A battle like this every, in I know, every years, time I see a headline, it's just like, again? Airline. <laughs> yeah. Just, I mean, the spirit in the sky. Norman <laughs> Greenbaum would be happy. Savannah Hanau, thank you very much. You got it, Brian. 
I've been listening to too much 70s on 7. All right, now back to the macro markets where it has been really six months to forget the S&P 500 on track for its worst start to a year in 50 years, speaking of the 70s. But maybe the key is to think long term. And one strategy that may pay off is investing in dividend payers compared to the S&P's more than 18% drop this year. The iShares Select Dividend ETF is down only 2%, at least on a total return basis, including the dividend. Among that ETF's top holdings are Altria, Valero, IBM, and Lyondell Basil. Joining us now with a similar strategy is Grace Capital founder and CEO Kate Fattis. Kate, great to have you on back in the morning. Uh, dividends, I, they're not going to negate your losses this year for the most part. You're still going to be down, but you'll be down less and maybe getting paid a little bit to wait, uh, what do you think about the dividend strategy for the markets? I think the dividend strategy works, Brian, and it works for certain sectors because we are now in an inflationary environment. This is something we haven't seen in 20, 25 years. So what works in inflation? You want things that are going to inflate. Commodities inflate. So we like commodity dividend-paying stocks. Okay, listen, the market, unless you're oil and gas or a few select others, you're probably down. It's a painful time. It's a bit of a scary year. We got all these stats, worst market in 50 years. I get that. What are some of the concerns you are hearing, though, from clients? Because we know that people, and it's human nature, no blame, tend to sell at the exact worst moments. People sell at at the wrong moments. They're, they're scared. They've lost 20, 25%. They don't want to lose anymore. Most of our clients are nearing retirement age. But there are a couple of names that I think would help them. Here's one is Rio Tinto. 12% yield, Brian, 12%. billion market cap. It's in the iron ore space, aluminum, copper, other minerals. Largest exporter of seaborne salt. Okay, iron ore is used to make steel, other things. The world could not exist without Rio Tinto. Okay, they do have a bad carbon footprint, which is difficult. 12% yield, highly profitable, 20% profit margins, very strong balance sheet. So here's one that you can cheer on. Yeah, and the other one that you like is kind of a very similar company. In fact, maybe the, the sort of the cousin, if you will, of Rio Tinto, and that is BHP. You're, you're not going to please ESG investors with these names, but as we are learning for the G7 and others, Weaning the world off of fossil fuels, heavy dug minerals, mining, whatever it may be, is probably going to be about a multi-decade, if not longer, affair. BHP. BHP is another one. I mean, 143 billion market cap, dividend yield 5.3%, not as strong um, as Rio Tinto, founded in 1885. It's the largest mining company in the world, Okay, headquartered in Australia. The revenue side, again, iron ore, 57%, copper, 26%, petroleum, coal, 8%. The problem, so BHP understands that people don't like the coal business, so they're getting out of it. But the coal business isn't going to go away. They're going to sell it to someone else, someone probably private, who's going to keep doing the coal. But never mind. Revenues are flat over the decade, very cyclical. But again, strong balance sheet, very profitable. 20, 30 percent free cash flow margins. Uh, Again, this is one if you want yield, if you're concerned about inflation, if you're concerned about uh, some of the things we're seeing, 
These are names you have to think about. It's hard to hear, but global coal production is at record highs. The world is using more coal than ever, ever before. And you're right. BHP is probably going to have to sell it off. They'll make a bunch of money on that. Then we won't hear about it anymore. It'll go to some private buyer that doesn't reveal their stats. We're looking at Rio Tinto, BHP, Dividend Strategies. Kate Faddis, always love having you on. Thanks for getting up early, Kate. Have a great day. Thank you, Brian. Are you very welcome? All right, we've got a lot to do on this Tuesday. When we come back, we are live in Germany. The G7 summit coming to a close. But did the meeting actually accomplish anything concrete? Plus, inventory and other pricing pressures putting the squeeze on Nike. That stock down big this year. But could brighter days be ahead? Later on, there is always a bull market somewhere. And we found it. Your morning RBI has the world's hottest stock market. Very busy hours still ahead when WEX returns right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back. President Biden and his G7 counterparts wrapping up their final summit session in Germany today before heading out to Madrid for the NATO summit later this week. Steve Sedgwick joining us now live from Schloss Elmau. I probably butchered that Germany in, in Germany, Steve Sedgwick. Um, a rather bizarre moment. And you're the oil guy. Everything I've learned, I've learned from you. Uh, where French President Emmanuel Macron running up and interrupting President Biden and talking about Saudi and UAE capacity, I found the moment surreal. It almost took us back to the staircase at OPEC's headquarters, Steve. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's And by the way, you didn't butcher that name. Shosh Elmau was a very, very good pronunciation, Brian, as well. So uh, 10 out of 10 on that one. Look. Was the aim of this meeting to have unity over Ukraine? Yes, no doubt about it. They wanted to show unity, and they've confirmed that they have that unity and they're going to do whatever it takes to provide military, um, humanitarian uh, and political support to Ukraine. Was it also about alleviating concerns of the cost of living crisis that is seeing Americans paying circa $5 a barrel, a, a, a gallon for their gasoline, for the Brits paying ridiculous prices, for producers around the world seeing their cost go up through the roof? Was it trying to alleviate that? Yes. So what they came up with was a concept saying we're going to have a price cap on Russian oil. 
The problem is they don't have a price cap on Russian oil plan. They have a concept. It's like having a concept car, but when you lift the hood on it as well, there's no engine. It's just a, a blank space because they haven't worked out uh, how it's actually going to work under the engine, under the hood. And that is exactly what they've done with this price cap. And, and don't just take my word for it. I spoke to the uh, di executive director of the IEA, Dr. Fatih Biro, the man who's responsible for energy policy for the OECD at the IEA. He was in those meetings yesterday with Modi, with Biden, with uh, Johnson, with all the key players. And he said to me, no, they're, they're working on the mechanism. I said, are you working on the mechanism? He said, no, no, I'm providing the data. So they don't have a mechanism. So what has the oil, world oil market done? Oh. The world oil market has gone from Friday, which was about 109.73, to, as I speak, 117.13. So have they made the cost of living crisis easier or worse at this meeting? Uh, maybe those Macron comments were just pretty much typical uh, of how the messaging has gone here. Brian. It's just, it's got a Steve, it's so bizarre. And if people haven't seen it, go online. It's a little hard to understand because Macron is speaking off mic, but you can hear it. He's got the French accent. He's kind of whispering to President Biden. I'll summarize. He basically runs up to President Biden, the French president, and says, excuse me, Mr. President, sort of I've got a message from uh, MBZ, who is the UAE's leader, that the UAE and the Saudis don't have a lot of spare oil capacity. Now, that may be true or it may not be. But I think, Steve, what was shocking to me is why is the French president delivering this message? He's like the, an, the OPEC messenger. It was the most bizarre thing I had seen in a while. And then Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor, who's with President Biden, is basically like, let's get out of here. These microphones are hot. What an odd scene. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, again, I, don't, I didn't know that actually uh, MBZ, Mohammed bin Zayed, the president of the UAE, and indeed that the, the, the Saudi elite as well, the, the, the government there, were, were actually close to Macron on this issue. I didn't know, as you say, that, that they would be sharing messages uh, and then potentially to pass on to uh, the G7 and President Biden. What, what could be one explanation from the Macron point of view is basically saying to President Biden, look, traditional sources in the Middle East don't have much more spare capacity. We need to look at other producers. And, of course, that would be a whole different political can of worms because then we're talking about Iran, yes. then we're talking about Venezuela, both countries which are subject to U.S. sanctions, which, of course, the Europeans have a different view uh, on Iran than the U.S. So maybe they're saying, look, if you really want more capacity from the traditional producers and the ones who have got absolutely masses potentially to export, you need to look at the regimes there and our relationships with them and allow them potentially, I mean, again, I'm guessing here, I'm trying to add up the dots here uh, and say maybe you're not. that's where we need to find the extra capacity you're not guessing you're spot on because macron had also said recently that he wants iran and venezuela to come back to the market so maybe in delivering this message he's opening the door for more iranian more venezuelan crude oh and by the way maybe also giving president biden sort of a, a wink and a nudge hey hey america you could probably pump another million barrels a day what is America going to do its part? There was a lot of meaning wrapped up in that odd scene in Schloss Elmau. Mm. Now that. Yeah, no, I, look, I mean, as I said, to you, I, I'll just make this very, very simple because this is why I've been reading this meeting. I've been to dozens of these. I've been to G7s. I've been to G8s when Russia was involved. I've been to G20s and the most successful of any of these ever. No doubt about it. 
2009, the London one under Gordon Brown, where Obama was on his first big foreign trip, and then the Pittsburgh trip a little bit later on uh, in the year as well. I think it was September of that year, where he took over the mantle. And then we had the world coming together to save us from a financial crisis and pump trillions of dollars into the system. A lot of them since then have promised broad promises on these huge communiques that are so poured yeah. over, and everyone argues about the communique and what should be in it and what shouldn't be in it. Perhaps isn't it very interesting for all of our viewers, and for you and I as journalists looking at this as well, that actually we've heard no contention over the communique. We haven't even seen any, the communique yet. We haven't seen loads of drafts being passed around as well. So it's kind of like, it's like eating water. It's giving a very unsatisfactory taste to it as well. <laughs> I don't know if this meeting is going to be seen oh. uh, as having long on rhetoric, long on promises, but very short on substance, I'm afraid. Oh, past the Riesling. I just want to wash it down with some of that Bavarian German water that we're having for dinner. <laughs> Steve Sedgwick, you've been doing it. Was the, it was the G4 and a half when you started covering these things. You've been to many. We trust your voice. Steve <laughs> Sedgwick, thank like you that. very much. All right. Steve Sedgwick, uh, pretty much nothing. Zero. Getting done at G7. All right, moving on. Still on deck. Will he or won't he? Crypto billionaire Sam Bankman Freed downplaying reports. He's trying to buy Robinhood. But his nearly 8% stake in the retail trader could be speaking louder than his words. We'll discuss when Worldwide Exchange returns right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, welcome and welcome back. Let's get a check on some of this morning's other key headlines outside of money and business, including a tragic scene outside of San Antonio, Texas. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with that and more. Francis. Brian, good morning. At least 46 people, all suspected migrants, have been found dead in the back of a tractor trailer in San Antonio. According to Texas authorities, the gut-wrenching discovery was made in the outskirts of the city when a firefighter who happened to be nearby heard a cry for help. In 100-degree temperatures, he opened the trailer and found people in agony from heat exhaustion. At least 16 people are hospitalized, and officials say the death toll could still rise. In a surprising turn of events, the January 6th House Committee has added a last-minute hearing later today. The panel will present, quote, recently obtained evidence and receive witness testimony. Just last week, the committee said the remaining hearings would be pushed until July. According to reporting from Politico, which cited two sources, Cassidy Hutchinson, who was an aide to former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, will testify publicly. She provided testimony to the House panel on exchanges between former President Trump's inner circle in the weeks leading up to the January 6th attack on the Capitol. Today's hearing is at 1 p.m. Eastern. 
And today, it's all eyes on Serena Williams. She is hoping to serve up a historic comeback this morning when she takes on France's Hermity Tan at 11.45 Eastern. It is her first Grand Slam match in a year. She tore her hamstring in the first round of Wimbledon last year. You remember how emotional that was, Brian. So everybody is watching to see how she's going to be when she takes to the court. 100% tuned in. Good luck to Serena. Going to be an amazing comeback. Francis, thank you very much. All right, we've got a lot more to do here on Worldwide Exchange. Still ahead, are you frustrated that most U.S. stocks are headed lower? Well, we get it. We're going to show you one group that is on the way higher, but it's not based here. It's the GOAT. Remember our get-out-and-travel trade? We're bringing it back when Worldwide Exchange returns right after this. Can a Tuesday turnaround really take shape? Futures are higher once again, but will sellers just come back in like they did on Monday? Nike down again as it sounds the alarm on the road ahead. We'll dig into the numbers. And rumors of a Robinhood deal rocking that stock, but the crypto exchange throwing cold water on the gossip. More on that story and more all happening on this Tuesday, June 28th. And this is Worldwide Exchange. Uh, welcome or welcome back and good Tuesday morning, everybody. I'm Brian Sullivan. Thanks for being with us right around 5.30 a.m. on the East Coast. Here's how the markets and your money look right now. Futures, they are higher across the board, almost exactly mirroring what we had yesterday. Dow futures up 194, NASDAQ up 73. But remember, we were looking like this yesterday as well. Markets opened higher and then the sellers came in, sold any kind of a pop, and we ended down. So... Well, we'll see what happens again today. Fair value actually turning negative on the Dow. Let's take a look at the price of oil. It is back on the rise again. In fact, back above 110 a barrel. You might have heard us reference it earlier in the program. French President Emmanuel Macron at the G7 meetings yesterday, in sort of an odd scene, running up and interrupting and telling President Biden, all in front of cameras and hot microphones, that the Saudis and the UAE have basically no spare capacity to increase production. Here it is. Two things. One, I'm at the maximum, maximum, what he claims, and this is my EPA commitment. Second, for me, according to us, the Saudis can increase a little bit, but 150 or a little bit more, and they, they don't have huge capacities at this stage, before six months' time. All right, so just pause it there. There's a lot to take away from that. Basically, Macron saying the Saudis can add maybe 150 to 170,000 barrels a day. That's it. The UAE basically coming out later on and saying it's not that they don't have spare capacity. It's just that maybe they can't add more under the current OPEC deal. Either way, expectations. Remember, President Biden going to Saudi Arabia next month, maybe ostensibly to see if they can get to pump more oil uh, this is kind of a setup for a disappointing scenario perhaps next month with Macron effectively relaying the message that there's simply not a lot of Middle East spare capacity to add. Sort of an odd scene. We'll talk more about it coming up in Squawk Box in the next hour. Meantime, the biggest stock story this morning is coming out of Asia. Green arrows across the board and bullish buying. This after China updated its COVID-19 quarantine period, cutting its inbound visitors from about three weeks to, quote, only 10 days. So if you go and you test positive for COVID, don't worry. You're not going to get locked up by authorities for three weeks. You'll only get locked up for 10 days. Anyway, 
The Chinese get out and travel, the goat stocks, as we like to call them, they are surging on the news. Names like Win Macau, Galaxy Entertainment, Sands China, Air China, and more, all sharply higher. By the way, we'll get more on Chinese stocks coming up in your morning RBI in just a couple of minutes. You're going to want to hear that. All right, now let's get some of your morning's top corporate stories. J.P. Morgan Chase and Citigroup announcing plans to keep their dividends unchanged. All that in the wake of the latest stress tests on the banks. The pair citing higher future capital requirements for that decision not to boost their dividend. A different story, though, for Bank of America, Morgan Stanley, Wells Fargo, and Goldman Sachs. They all did boost their dividends. Goldman making the biggest hike in the bunch with a 25% bump to 250 per share. The Oracle of Omaha showing a little more love for Occidental Petroleum. Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway keeps on buying, buying nearly 800,000 more shares of Oxy last week, that according to a regulatory filing. That raises Buffett's stake in Occidental to 16.4%. Oxy shares have more than doubled so far this year, so Buffett is buying at a high price. Kind of rare for him. And CVS, Walmart, and Rite Aid are limiting purchases of over-the-counter emergency contraceptive pills, all in the wake of the Roe versus Wade ruling. CVS and Rite Aid citing spiking demand for the pills for that decision. Meanwhile, Walgreens initially had a purchase limit on its website, but tells the Wall Street Journal that was an error and that it would soon be corrected. All right, now to your morning's big money mover, and that has got to be Nike. Now, Nike did post better than expected sales, better than expected profit for the fourth quarter, all thanks to higher demand and prices for sneakers and sportswear. But shares are down right now over 2% on a downbeat revenue forecast over lingering worries about China as well as pressure on profit margins. Let's talk more about Nike, where it's been, where it's going with Anisha Sherman, senior analyst at Bernstein. Anisha, good to have you back on the program. Yet another case on Wall Street where the numbers look good, the guidance disappointed a bit, and a lot of that is around higher costs. What was your takeaway from Nike's quarter? Yeah, so 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 look, a lot of the caution expressed in the guidance was already priced in, and you can see the aftermarket price drop has not been significant. I don't expect the, the stock to be down more than a few percent this morning um, because the caution was around China, which we've known for a couple months. It's been priced in elsewhere. This is the first time that Nike have reported on it because their last quarter was pre-lockdown. Um, and the second caution was around North America. And again, that's not new news, right? We, we know there's more promotional activity coming across the sector. I think what was different, though, is that Nike in the past has just been so optimistic about North America. And their message has been, you know, what recession? We don't see any pullback in demand. Um, and there was a slight change in tone um, last night with, with a little bit more caution on we're monitoring the macro environment and trying to look for opportunities to, to you know, to, to maximize our potential, including a return to higher markdowns than what we've seen over the last year, which have been kind of abnormally low. So there's a little bit more caution on the tone for North America. But I do think that most of the impact of North America and certainly all of the impact of China are already priced into the stock. OK, I was going to ask you, too, are they going to be able to raise prices? Do they have any pricing power to counter some of these higher margin costs, Anisha? 
Yes, great question. So they have already done that. Um, they started raising prices in Q3, which was early in the spring. Most of the price increases came through in the recent quarter, so kind of the March to May timeframe. And they haven't seen a pullback in demand. They were very clear about that in response to those price increases. They'll probably do a little bit more through the, through the end of the year. But it is important to note that Nike is not doing double-digit price increases like many others in the sector. They are being more cautious. They're ta- they've talked about low single-digit price increases um, because they don't need to use price as a lever to secure back margin. They're looking at it as a way to offset some of the product cost inflation that they've seen in their own price, in their own cost base. Um, but they're not looking at it as a way to offset a flagging demand environment. Do they have any surprises up their sleeve, Anisha? I was reading some of your own. I'm going to quote Anisha Sherman to Anisha Sherman that maybe there's some some secret new product or products that Nike may be set to roll out, sort of environmental play kind of in a way. What do we know about this? Yeah, so they did sort of a preview um, and, and hint at a couple of things coming in the fall, um, the biggest of which was what they called uh, kind of huge innovation in apparel materials. Um, And they said it's not a knit, it's not a woven, it's made in a very sustainable way without using water, without using dyes, Um, which is huge in this industry to be able to produce an apparel product sustainably without using a lot of the, um, the, you know, kind of carbon footprint that most apparel requires. Um, that's all they said. And they said they would be, uh, we would see the first of it in September. But it, I think to me, it's a signal of Nike's continued lead in product innovation and that they wanted to emphasize that despite everything happening in the macro environment, they're still number one on product innovation and there's more coming and they expect to maintain that lead. Bottom line, buy the stock, hold it for yourself, hold it for your kids, correct? Longer term? Agreed. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the caution that we heard today was already priced into the price. We don't expect a big drop today. And, you know, it sets them up really well to do well through the rest of the year. So we remain a strong buy on the stock. And this in this market, Anisha, down 2% is the new up. Anisha yeah, Sherman, price. thank exactly. you very much. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Take care. All right. Coming up. Your morning RBI and the Bulls taking Beijing. A look at just how red hot stocks have been in China. Stick around. All right, a reminder all week here on CNBC, we're taking you live to the Aspen Ideas Festival. Some big interviews from the mountain town. Be sure to tune in all day today and this week. All right, now to the more on the recent Robin Hood data. Shares spiking initially in the close yesterday, that in a report that crypto exchange FTX was exploring a possible buyout of Robinhood. But then, nope, Robinhood shares gave it back after FTX founder and CEO Sam Bankman-Fried said there are no active talks, although he did add they are, quote, excited about Robinhood's prospects and potential ways that FTX could partner with them. Robinhood has declined to comment. Now, last month, Bankman Freed disclosed a more than 7% stake in Robinhood. Huh. Let's talk about this all now more with the state of crypto as well with Tracy Wang, deputy managing editor at Coindesk. Tracy, what a bizarre, I don't know, 12 hours it has been in the crypto world. Talk of a deal, share spikes. Bankman Freed says, nope. But by the way, I'm still heavily invested in the company and love it. Uh, what do you make? of this as the crypto world turns soap opera? 
Well, good morning, Brian. Uh, thank you for having me. That is a great question. So, um, you know, Sam Baker-Fried has said that he is interested, certainly, in Robinhood, even though there are currently no ongoing M&A talks. Robinhood has not been approached by any type of offer. And uh, like you said, Sam has disclosed personally that he has purchased a 7.6% stake in Robinhood that was revealed last month. And, uh, you know, I don't want to speak for Sam or FTX, but I'd imagine that one day he rolled out of bed or or rather his beanbag and um, put on his Elon Musk thinking cap. Um, I think there are some similarities between Elon Musk and Twitter and FTX and Robinhood. Uh, But, you know, I do want to add that there are some synergies between FTX and Robinhood. So FTX has announced that they would be Um, you know, expanding their platform into equities trading. And so kind of the retail client base between FTX and uh, Robinhood, uh, you know, there are definitely some potential synergies there. Yeah, rolling out of his beanbag with his bare feet living in the Bahamas. He's he's a mercurial guy, but there's no question his, you know, his business ability seems sound in Robinhood in some cases trading lower than the amount of cash they have on the books. Talk to us more about what FTX may want to be. You referenced, Tracy, they're talking more about stock trading. So it appears that Bankman Freed has got bigger ambitions than just being a Bahamas-based crypto exchange. Um, Certainly. I think uh, FTX has basically... Uh, you know, announced that they want to be an all-in-one trading platform. You know, currently they offer crypto trading services, but they kind of want, you know, the Robinhood user base. They want it. They want people to be able to go log on to there and, and buy stocks, trade meme stocks. And I think, you know, customers, they don't want to have their assets across multiple different portfolios. They don't want one, you know, for their stocks and one for their crypto. And I think, you know, that move certainly makes sense for FTX. And, you know, I think this type of, uh, if, if they were to enter into a partnership with, with Robinhood, that certainly makes sense there. Uh, if you look at their playbook in the past 12 months, they are really going after the little guy, the retail investor, Um, They did the Larry David Super Bowl commercial. Uh, They also acquired the naming rights to the FTX um, arena in Miami. And so if you look at, you know, what they've been doing in the past 12 months, this is definitely uh, this is definitely a Robinhood partnership. I I don't think is out of the question. And another thing to add about FTX is that their client base currently is is very different from, say, like a Coinbase. You know, they started out as a exchange for traders. I think their motto was, you know, built by traders for traders. And mm-hmm. so currently all of the people, uh, the users of FTX, they're, they're a lot different. They, are, they tend to be, you know, professional traders that use the platform, um, you know, 24-7. They, you know, you tend to have larger uh, accounts. And so, um, the, the type of demographic in, in, that they're going after with a potential, yeah. uh, you know, Robinhood uh, partnership is very different. We'll see if something happens. A seven and a half percent stake is nothing to sneeze at, even as the prices come down. Tracy, we appreciate your views. Thank you. Have a great day. Take care. Thank you for having me. All right, on deck. Speaking of crypto, the doctor is in. John Najarian is here. He'll talk about crypto as well. 
is the big bump that we are seeing in China stocks. And if you don't realize this, you're going to hear your RBI, it's next, and you're going to realize there is a bull market somewhere, just it's not here. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back. There was a lot in store for all you investors to be watching today. First on the menu, you're going to hear from Richmond Fed President Tom Barkin. That's at 8 a.m. Eastern. That'll be followed by two pieces of data, the April S&P Case-Shiller Home Price Index at 9 a.m. and June Consumer Confidence at 10. Those could be big. And more with the Fed from a speech from San Francisco President Mary Daly at 1230 Eastern. And at 1 o'clock, the January 6th Select Committee convenes for a last-minute hearing over some newly obtained evidence, let you know of any headlines that come out of that. Well, today's most random but interesting thing has to do with something that our friend Jim Cramer likes to say, that there is always a bull market somewhere. And he's right. There is a big bull market happening right now in stocks. It's just not here in the U.S. and it's definitely not in Europe or in Latin America. The bull market is in China and it's raging. And if you have not been paying attention to Chinese stocks, we don't blame you. It's been hard to look past any news outside of their COVID zero policy. But outside of that, their stocks have been red hot. Look at these one month moves. We're seeing gains in the S&P or the Hang Seng, the Shanghai A shares and the Shenzhen A shares index up 14.7 percent. And like a tiny little part of the bigger story lately, we could hear something that's incredibly random but interesting. Stock, stock stats from that best-performing Shenzhen index. Of the more than 2,000 members, 593 are up more than 50% off their 52-week lows. 151 of them have more than doubled off their lows, and an incredible 29 stocks have gained more than 200%. That's off their lows in less than a year. Now, to be fair, they, they have had a little time to get it done, Most of these 52-week lows came just about 52 weeks ago, about a year ago, really all hitting in July and August for most of the big stocks. Wow. So who are the best of the best in this big China stock bull run? Well, two companies involved in stuff that's in the news here as well. The second best performing stock in the Shenzhen A index is called Daijian Heavy Industries. They make big towers for offshore wind turbines, and they will likely get a lot of business from America and Europe as we build out our offshore capability. Kind of sad we can't make it here. But the top stock off its lows, it's called Andon Health, and it has surged 909% from its lows of last year. So any investor in China that has timed it right has printed money. What does Andon Health do? Well, they do mobile medical solutions like infrared thermometers for COVID testing. Kind of can't make this up. Really a sign of the times and a raging bull market in Chinese stocks. Random, but profitable, at least for investors there. Well, let's dive into more on this with our friend John Najarian. He is Market Rebellion co-founder, CNBC contributor, and somebody no doubt watching this move as well. John, I mean... uh, The boom in China stocks has been insane. What's your take? Well, Brian, um, you've already said uh, the China A shares, which is ASHR, that's an ETF that tracks a lot of that, um, has been on fire. They've been buying those upside calls in that for weeks. 
Um, they've also been buying the FXI and KWeb, which is really centered on those Internet names in China. They've been buying upside calls and rolling up, rolling up, rolling up. So at least right now, Brian, the bets continue to be that it rebounds and stays on track rather than, oh, we've gone up this far. Let's pull back. They're not betting on that at all. They're betting on higher and higher over there in China right now. Makes sense with the reopening, right, that we'd start seeing uh, more and more upside. But uh, you know what they say, by rumors, sell news. But right now, they're not selling news. Yeah. Although also the Chinese government and their central bank is one of the few in the world that's stimulating right now. The rest of the world's getting tighter, but they're they're adding money to their economy and loosening up their fiscal and monetary policies. Very much so. Um, And that's obviously having an impact on those shares, much like uh, some of the threats of tightening here have uh, made our shares a little more nervous. Well, the, the risk there, though, to your point is, John, I, I would imagine you would caution investors and market rebellion clients to be a little careful. I mean, we're just one COVID lockdown headline away from a big turn. I, I would imagine unless Xi Jinping has suddenly decided I'm not going to care about COVID anymore because I'm worried about getting my third term in November. Yeah, I, I do think that plays into it pretty significantly, Brian. Um, and we both know he's over in Hong Kong to celebrate the handover from uh, Britain to China of Hong Kong. And uh, I I think he is loath to increase and probably more likely to go a little softer on some of those lockdowns. The the zero COVID policy just has not worked out well for China. No, no, it is not. Um, John, let's switch gears and talk about crypto. You just heard us do the story about Robinhood, are they going to get bought by FTX? No, they're not. Bankman Freed, whatever. Binance, separately, another company, they've talked about looking at like 50 to 100 deals. Their words, not mine. What do you make of Binance and all that's going on in crypto? Yep, that's right. And we're seeing big upside speculation in a lot of the uh, likely targets now, Brian. Riot blockchain, that was, of course, one of the biggest miners, R-I-O-T. A lot of upside call buying there. Um, And this coincides with exactly that story you're talking about. Uh, Whether it's Sam Bankman-Fried at FTX, Binance, or perhaps even, um, even though they're letting people go over at Coinbase, perhaps any, any of these companies that have cash available to them or credit, Brian, I think those are the ones that are going to be trying to buy some of their either competitors or um, verticals that could make their business better on the cheap right now. And I bet we see a lot of deals over the next uh, two or three months. Yeah, the, the question is going to be who they're going to be the winners long term. But is it better just to stick with the biggest of the big right now, John, if people are thinking about investing? Um, yes, uh, but uh, I would say, for instance, a company like Riot Blockchain, a company like HUT8, um, those kinds of companies, Brian, um, if they get combined with a very big entity like Binance or FTX, that means they're going to survive. Um, and there's a lot of chatter about which ones of those are going to get that lifeline. And if they get that lifeline, then they'll be one of the ones, like I say, on the other side when things are a lot better for the entire industry. They've been hit so hard with the idea that, uh, OK, who's going to be next Celsius? Who's going to be um, the next Luna? Yeah. Um, 
that gets behind us, I think these can go back to work. Well, hopefully nobody. We don't need another Celsius or another Luna. Uh, Everything else that's going on. John Nigerian, appreciate your views as always, my man. Look at crypto and the China bull market. John, thank you very much. All right, folks, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. We're going to see you in 23 hours from now right here, same channel, Squawk Box with the great Becky Quick live at the NASDAQ. Some guy named Brian Sullivan in the Midwest will join you on Squawk right after this. Stick around. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.